talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. We're in Acts chapter 8 here this morning, verses 9 through 25. And I titled this morning's message, Some Things That Money Can't Buy. And so I want to begin with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to ask you that. So think about that for a second, because we're going to do a little bit of give you an opportunity to share with me things that money can't buy. And Father, as we open up your word, we do desire, Lord, you to be our teacher. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in this place. We thank you that you work in our mind and in our hearts today. And Lord, may we leave here today encouraged in you, Lord, with a path, with a plan, Lord, a will, a desire, Lord, to, to serve you and to serve our community, to serve the world in which we live and to make Jesus known. And so, Lord, have your way in each of our lives. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for just a sweet time of worship. I thank you so much for our worship team and the effort and the energy they put in each week to just to help us to massage our heart, to get our minds fixed on the right things, to lay aside the weight, the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. And so, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for today. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for the privilege we'll have to pray for one another today. And Lord, to see you answer prayer. May you do the miraculous in our service today. May you save those who, who are lost that are in need of salvation. May you bring healing to those that are physically and emotionally or mentally uh, dealing with issues today. God, you, you came to set us free. You came to save us. And Lord, that wasn't just, and it would have been enough if it had just been from, from hell. But Lord, you, you continually save us. Lord, you provide for us. And, and Lord, we thank you for that. And so help us to be bold as we come before you in our prayer time today, the end of the service and the things that you'll bring to our mind now as we study the word. Lord, may it help us to love you more. That's really of all the things that we would pray, Lord, what we would learn about you, that we might know you deeper and better, and may we love you more. That's our heart's desire. That's our prayer today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you think about your life and you think about things that money can't buy, what comes to mind? Money can't buy, money can't buy you love. No, what's that song? But apart from that, what are things that money can't buy? Happiness. That was a good one. What, what was it? Peace. That's a good one. Health. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. Salvation. Yeah. That's an awesome one. Anything else? Faith. Yeah. All kinds of things that you think about that money can't buy. I, here's this list of 25 things. It was health, a home, respect, friendship, love, self-satisfaction, wisdom, purpose, happy kids, loyalty, character, inner peace, gratitude, self-esteem, close-knit family, time, and had happiness there, confidence, self-love, intimacy, inner beauty, manners, mindfulness, emotional mastery, and empathy. Money can't buy any of those things. But then I saw this, and I just couldn't help but laugh. It said, money can't buy happiness. But it's a lot more comfortable to cry in a Mercedes than on a bicycle. You got to admit, that's pretty good. Yeah, so true. There's always that out there. But in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25, we're talking about Simon. He was Simon the sorcerer. Really interesting character. It's the only place that we learn about him in the Bible, but there's a lot in church history from the early church fathers that speak of him, and we'll talk about that today. Amazing that as the gospel's going forward, we ended last week with there was great joy in the city. When the gospel, the true gospel goes forward and people are hearing the gospel, Jesus said, and I share with you all the time, he said, the truth you'll know and the truth will what? Set you free. Yeah. 
And so we don't have to worry about, we're trying, how can I see people healed? I'd love to see people healed. I'd love to see people restored. I'd love to see you go preach the word. That's what happens. Share the word of God. The word of God is truth. The word of God, the Bible says of itself, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We talk about all these other things instead of just bringing people the word. Just get your Bible out and share the truth of God's word with them and watch what happens in people's lives. Man, it's so exciting to see as we're just going through the book of Acts, they're just hearing the gospel and it's good news. And you go, why is it good news? You think about it in our own life. Why is it good news? You go, because the Bible says that we are sinners, right? And for all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is what? It's death. We, hey, that's good news, right? We've all sinned and we all deserve to die. You go, no, that's not good news. The good news is that God sent his son to die in my place and your place, that all who would place their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ could experience new life in him, a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God, where you could know him intimately. Like I said, we shared last week, it's not just that when you gave your life to the Lord that he came into you, that would have been enough, right? That he lives in your heart. Little children understand that. And to think that you go, as we share in communion, as I shared with you, you go, to think that I I read Romans chapter 8 all the time. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that when you receive communion, you ingest it, you're reminded that when you leave this place, he goes with you and he'll be with you through the highs, through the lows. We, We just did the 23rd Psalm, or we're getting ready to on Wednesday mornings. We're doing favorite chapters of the Bible on Wednesday mornings at six. If you want to join us, it's open to men and women both. And uh, just awesome how, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Yeah. And then this amazing experience that we're reading about in the book of Acts, and it's not a formula, but it is an experience, this epi, E-P-P-I, or a pie experience where God comes upon you in the Holy Spirit. He comes upon your life, but he only does it in the life that's surrendered to him. People go, oh, I want that experience. And you go, But if you're not willing to live for him, why would you want that? It's an empowerment, a boldness, a holy boldness to proclaim his word to people that need to hear it. And when they hear the truth of it, even if they're in sin, and that's who he was talking to was sinners, right? It's not people who had it all together. There's none. How many, the Bible says, how many are righteous? What does the Bible say? There is none. Jesus came for sinners, right? And so when you recognize that and you go, I'm a sinner, and Jesus came for me, came for you. And that doesn't mean that we continue in our sin. That's not what he's saying. No, that he would deliver us from that sin. And as we continue to walk with him and we grow in that relationship with him, the things of this world, they just don't matter anymore. And the things, we start fixing our gaze upon heaven. And that was the good news. Samaritans in this region I shared with you last week, remember the Assyrians, the 10 northern tribes of the northern kingdom carried off by the Assyrians into captivity. And what did they do? They took the elite, they took the, the wealthy, they took the educated, and they took them into Assyria, but they left the, the lower middle class and the poor. And then they brought in other people groups that they'd conquered and mixed them with the Samaritans. And that's why there was this tremendous hatred between the Jews, the pure Jews that were Jews with no mixture of breed at all, other people groups, and then this, what they would consider a half-breed group of Samaritans. And so there was this tension there. But I said, but the beauty of it is that Jesus, remember the story of the woman at the well, Jesus went there and he begins to plant and he begins to water, preparing the hearts of the people that she looks at him and she's a sinner. She gets it. And she goes, what is you, Jesus? Why are you a Jew? Why are you talking to me, a Samaritan? Because Jews 
don't talk to Samaritans. You hate our guts and we hate your guts. And here you are asking me if I could give you a cup of water. What is Jesus doing? He's dignifying her. He's showing her respect and it opens her heart. And then, oh, he gives her a zinger, right? And he goes, go get your husband. I'm not married. I already know that. And the guy you're living with right now, he's not your husband. You had four other husbands besides that. She's convicted, but she understands as he shares with her, he's going, hey, but you know what? But I've come to tell you the truth. You don't have to keep going that way. You don't have to come out here at noon because that's what she was doing. She was coming out at high noon because the other women in the city didn't want anything to do with her. You ever felt like an outcast? You ever felt uninvited? You go, and we can all relate to it, different ways, different times in life. And here's Jesus comes to her in that place. Remember how he got there? And he said, oh, I must go to Samaria. And if you look at the map, you go, he went way out of his way to get to this woman. And what I love about that is that's a picture of me and you, that God went way out of his way from heaven to earth to get to us. And so every place you go in scripture, it's good news. It's a reminder. Jesus is going, hey, I want you to, here's a story about my dad, Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, right? He's telling you about, because no one has seen the father at any time, but Jesus is explaining him to us. He's going, and he's patient, and he's kind, and he loves you. And so these Gentiles who only thought Jews could be saved, right? And Samaritans even worse than that, because they were the, the low rung of the ladder, so to speak. So they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing the gospel go forth. Remember in Acts chapter 6, you see first it was Stephen, now you see Philip. The gospel's going out, and it's good news, and people are being prayed for, they're being healed. And you go, was well, it because they had special healing services? You go, no, they were proclaiming the gospel. They were proclaiming who Jesus is. They weren't trying to use psychology. They weren't trying to use sociology. They weren't trying to come up with any trickery of men at all. They were just laying out what Jesus said and standing on the promise of God's word. They believed in the inerrancy of God's word. They believed in the sufficiency of God's word, and it was transforming people's lives. And my hope and my prayer is that today we don't buy into all the other things, that we just come back to the word of God and go, man, just share the word of God with people and watch what God can do. So we pick it up in verse nine. It says, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. His name was Simon Magus. I want to share this with you. He was probably a Jew, it says, or a Samaritan who had addicted himself to the arts of magic and who was much celebrated for it. He had studied philosophy in Alexandria. And this is information coming from our early church fathers. It says in Egypt, and he lived in Samaria after he was cut off from the hope of adding to his other powers, the power of working miracles. The fathers say that he fell into many errors and became the founder of the sect of the Simonians. That was in the second century there. They were basically, they practiced Gnosticism says that they accused him of affirming that he came down as the father in respect to the Samaritans, the son in respect to the Jews, and the Holy Spirit in respect to the Gentiles. He did not acknowledge Christ to be the son of God, but a rival, and he pretended himself to be Christ. He rejected the law of Moses. Many other things were affirmed of him, rest on doubtful authority. He seems to have become an enemy to Christianity, though he was willing then to avail himself of some of its doctrines in order to advance his own interest and his end and how he died is unknown. So you get a little history there on Simon. You know, that word amazing there in the Greek language, it merely, it means that he was astonished or they were amazed or they were confounded. And that by him, Simon, he was honored as one who not only claimed to have the power of God, 
But they said of him, this man is the great power of God. As a matter of fact, in the specific language, it says that he was the mag- he was a ma- part of the Magi. Now, when you think of the Magi, what do you think of? Yeah, you think of Jesus' birth, right? The Magi. That's not what he's talking about here. In Matthew 2, 1, it's talking about the Magi that came, that exercised wisdom, came seeking Jesus. But also, unfortunately, just like you, do Mormons claim to be Christian? Yes. Do Jehovah Witness, in one sense, claim to be Christian? You go, yes. They have titles that can seem the same. The local wizards and sorcerers also took the title of Magi here, but not to be confused with those that were exercising wisdom. And they use this, this knowledge, this power, whatever they might call it, to really to prey on the ignorance of people, on the superstitions of the common people. And they were many then, just like there are today. It's interesting when you read the book of Deuteronomy, as the children of Israel were entering into the promised land, the Lord told them this. And so you can see where this comes from, this argument against sorcery and not listening to these, those that practice divination in any form of magic, black magic, they call it white magic, whatever they wanted to. But the Lord said this through Moses, says, when you enter the land of the Lord your God that he's given you, be careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. They were already in the promised land. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering, and do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or functions as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. So Simon obviously falls into this category. Going on in in verse 10 there in Acts 8 says, and everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of Simon as the great one, the power of God, and they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. I've seen programs on television, magic shows. Have you ever seen stuff and you just go, oh my gosh, it's like, how? You're just, you are, you're astounded by it. You go, man. And to think that they had these practices and even in a darker level, it's not just trickery where it's sleight of hand or something. I'm talking about demonic activity. And like I said, and we'll get into this even more about demonology as we get into the book of Acts. We'll talk more about that. But the early church fathers claimed that Simon was into Gnosticism. And remember, Gnosticism was probably the most dangerous heresy, not just then, and in many ways, it's still practiced today. And it's the belief that, and especially because of philosophers like Plato, Gnosticism was based on two false premises. It's important that we get this. First, regarding, it was called dualism, that for a Gnostic, they believed that the flesh was evil. The flesh was no good. And even as scripture says, we've got to die because this body, you know, to put on incorruption has to put off corruption, right? So our, for us to put on immortality, we've got to put, on, put off mortality. This body is sinful. Our spirit, we're, as we're born again, obviously is redeemed. So your flesh is going to go back into the ground, okay? And then ultimately one day it is going to be redeemed. But the Gnostics believe that the flesh was just totally evil. So it didn't matter what you did in the body as long as you worship God in your spirit. Does that seem like something that gets practiced still today in our world? Sure, it doesn't matter what you do 
or who you do it with as long as you love God. That's Gnosticism. It is just as much practice today. Then the next level, and this is where it gets dangerous from within the church setting here, that where you really saw it at its, probably at its height was in, within the Catholic Church. This isn't a, just a knock against the Catholic Church. You think about the system that was created. The Bible, as it was taught, was only in what language? Latin, right? Okay. And most people didn't speak Latin, so most people, I remember myself growing up in the Catholic Church, the service was in Latin. I had no clue what the priest was saying. But if you were to ask me, Mike, are you going to heaven? I would have said, absolutely. You'd say, well, why are you going to heaven? Because I'm Catholic. I had no idea. I didn't know Jesus personally. I didn't know anything. But I had a relationship with the church. Part of Gnosticism is this belief in higher knowledge, that, that the Gnostics believed that they were smarter, that God had given them divine knowledge that he didn't give the average person. Does that happen in churches today as well? Absolutely. You can watch false religions. Though Scripture itself says what? There is no private interpretation of Scripture, right? That God doesn't pick somebody and go, I'm going to give you greater enlightenment than everybody else. But man, how many guys and women stand up week in and week out at pulpits, and they'll say, God gave me this knowledge. And you go, well, he didn't give that to me because it just is. So you're down here, and I'm here. That's what they claim. And people buy into that. And you go, and it's so sad, but this is exactly what was taking place in the life of Simon there. Again, the belief that anything done in the body doesn't matter. All you got to do is love God in your spirit. And again, they believe that they possessed an elevated knowledge, or you could say a higher truth, only known to a certain few. Man, and that is so dangerous because there is no private interpretation. You should be able to pick up. That was the beauty of the Reformation, right? To get a Bible in every person's hand. That's why I tell you every week, bring your Bible, read your Bible, study your Bible. I always love that expression that says a worn out Bible usually belongs to somebody who's not, right? And just being in the Word of God, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Just again, just getting in the Word of God. Verse 12 goes on, it says, but now the people believe Philip's message of good news. Like I said, they're hearing the gospel. They're going, you can be saved. Matter of fact, who can be saved? whosoever, right? Who's a whosoever? Anybody, right? Amen. We're all whosoever's, right? Man, how exciting would that be to grow up in a world where you think that only the Jews, that God, and you saw it, God tabernacled with the Jews. The, even their enemies saw it. They go, man, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is different. We worship the God of the wind, and whenever the wind's blowing, that's where our God's at. Or we go, we, we worship the God of the mountain, and we'll fight you on the mountain but we will not fight you down in the valley. Why? Because their God wasn't there. We'll fight you in the fire. We'll fight you in the sea. But their gods were limited. They go, but this God of Israel, oh no, he goes with his people. He tabernacles with them, right? It was all pointing to something that God wants you and I to understand. That yes, he chose Israel, but guess what? He chose you in Christ Jesus. And wherever you go, what? He goes with you. Yeah. And to understand that. So obviously that was great news to them. Oh, and even better than that, the law, did the law ever save anybody? No, the law just beat people down because they realized what? They couldn't keep the law, right? But the law was a tutor, Paul says, to keep us in line, to bring us to the place where we would look to Jesus as our sufficiency, as we would look to Jesus for our salvation. 
And God said, so what I'm going to do, and this is the new covenant, this is in Jesus Christ, this was what was different. He goes, I'm going to take your heart of stone, the heart that's the law. He goes, I'm going to replace it with the heart of flesh. So you're going to be born again, and my spirit's going to come into you, and I'm going to write my laws on your heart. And I'm going to give you the strength and the power by my spirit to perform my will. And you go, and you can do it because I'll be with you and I'll be in you and I'll come upon you. And all of a sudden they're hearing this and for the very first time and they're going, this seems too good to be true. And they go, it's not. And guess what? The gospel hasn't changed. People haven't changed. What happens is we're just not trusting the gospel. We're not trusting the word of God. We've allowed knowledge and information and Gnosticism and psychology and sociology, and all these other things to displace God and to displace his word. But the people who are being effective are the people who are standing on the promises of God. How can a young man cleanse his way? What does the Bible say? To take heed according to the word of God. You go, yeah, that the word of God, it washes us, it cleanses us, it purifies us. You go, it's powerful. Again, it says in verse 12, it says, But now the people believe Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Who? Whoever called upon the name of the Lord. Then it says, And then Simon himself believed. They go, Well, Pastor Mike, he was a believer. Be careful. It says, And he was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles. Philip performed. So what is it that Simon believed? Oh, he believed that Jesus had performed miracles. He believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. He, he believed that, that even in believing those things, they aligned with his own beliefs about power and authority. He believed in the power of magic. He believed that Jesus had the power of working miracles. And again, and he turned those things, he twisted those things to his own purpose, to his own beliefs. So he was willing to profess himself to be a follower. And it says he followed Philip wherever he went. Now, that was very common in that day. It was very common to remember when Jesus began his ministry and, and John's disciples came to him and they said, John, they said, more people are starting to follow Jesus. And what did John say? He's going, oh, man, we got to have a meeting and we got to find a way to shut Jesus up. No, that's not what he said. What did he say? He said, I must decrease that he, what, might increase. Yeah, he knew his role. He knew that, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. He who came after me was preferred before me, right? Because Jesus is the great, what, I am, right? John recognized that. And again, that was very common to gather with the, your disciples. Remember, the, and again, the Lord's Prayer. What, how did the disciples come? And they said, hey, Jesus, can you teach us to pray like John teaches his disciples to pray? And then Jesus introduced the Lord's Prayer, right? So people were following people. I told the story in first service. When we were in Israel, I think the last trip, it was so funny. We were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and John Jones was teaching. And I look over there, and, and I'm passing out the elements to our group. And I see these three people. They're, they're Danish, and I have no idea why they're in our group. And they're smiling at me. So I'm okay, communion, give them communion. So we gave them communion. And we come to find out they just didn't have a group. 
And, and John, he doesn't need any microphone or anything. They heard him all over Israel. It was like, it was just the thing. John's in there, he's like, and all the groups are, they're like, they go, he's not yelling. He's talking, you know? And they're just like, so these Danish people, they hear it. They come over and sit down. They're just listening. And I just, it always, when I was studying this, it was just so funny because when you go to Israel, wherever you go on a holy site, there's 10 or 15 other groups there, right? You don't like have Israel to yourself. So they're just, you got to just have your group. So they all, you might say, had their rabbi or they have their disciples and that's how they did. And it was the same thing back in Jesus' day. And so Simon would have had a group that followed him around and Philip then has a group that's following him around. Then guess what happens? As Philip began to preach, what happened to Simon? Like John, he's going, he should have been saying, I must decrease that he might increase. But he was like, what do I need to do to get a crowd. I'm losing my crowd. I got to figure out some type of mechanism in order to do that, right? And so he sees that the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. Through Philip, people are coming to faith and repentance here, right? There's signs and wonders. There's miracles. And you think about that, man. We people that I get calls every week from in emails from people and they go, companies, they go, Pastor Mike, we can help you grow your church. I go, really? I go, $7,000. Just give us $7,000. We will bring a fog machine and we've got, they go, can you wear skinny jeans? No, I can't do that. <laughs> okay. Maybe we can work around that one. You know what I mean? And it's so funny, the stuff they go, it's just sorcery. It's just sorcery. It's no different than Simon and what he's doing here. Right. And you go, but what would happen if all of a sudden a church is just going, we're just going to believe God. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to understand. We're going to grow in the knowledge of the gospel because there's a lot of lies out there. And we're just going, we're going to tell people the truth. And we're going to stand on the promise of God that the truth they're going to know and the truth is going to do what? It's going to set people free. Yeah. Man, what would happen if that's really where we got to, right? But I think in all of our lives, we tend to, it's just like that joke about the Baptist church that was struggling financially. And they call around all the deacons on the board, hey, we've got to emergency meeting. They're like, what's it for? What's it for? And they go, it's finances in the church. They get to the last deacon. They go, tell him the story. And he's, hey, we need to meet tonight at 630. He goes, for what? And he goes, prayer meeting. He goes, pastor's calling a prayer meeting. The church is hurting financially. And the deacon says, has it come to that? Prayer? Oh my gosh, the bottom must be falling out. So yeah. And we look at that many times, don't we? Prayer becomes what? The last resort as opposed to a way of life in all of our lives. It should be the natural first thing that we do when we pray. But you think about it, even when we pray, Jesus said, when you pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's no I in any of that, right? It's all about God. You go, when we pray a lot of times, it's like a grocery list, right? I need this. And God is so good that what? He still answers the prayer, right? But it's really not any different what Simon's doing. Hey, I want something from God as opposed to getting to know the God of heaven and understanding that he, like any good father or any good mother, wants the best for his children and doesn't look to withhold anything from us. But what he wants is a relationship. I remember that back in the 80s. I'd call my dad, hey, dad, could I borrow 20 bucks? That was a lot of money. My dad goes, sure. He goes, but come over, sit down with me for a while. And I was like, dad, I really need 20 bucks. And he goes, I'd really like to talk to my son. And I go, okay. So I go over and spend time with my dad. My dad would go, Mike, the money's not the issue. He goes, it's the relationship. He goes, everything I have is yours. 
you know, you're going to get it. Do you want it now or do you want it later? That's really the question. But I got that. I understood. My dad wasn't, the stuff wasn't the issue. He's like, have a relationship. Enjoy relationship. Everything stems from relationship and the same with God. And it's why then many of us don't pray because we don't really have a relationship with God. He is a grocery list. He is a punch. Man, God, I need this and this. And it's, I only, what's the song? I only go to God when I need a favor. I need a favor. I need a savior. And you go, yeah, so I, I get it. And it goes to number one on the hit parade. You go, why? And you go, because that's the heart of so many people. That was the heart of Simon. Verse 22, it goes on. It says, people of Israel, it says, Acts 2.22, it says, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you well know. So the point is, can a person be a believer without being saved? So that's why this is here. You could be a believer here today and not be saved. The book of James makes that perfectly clear. James 2, 17 through 20, it says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some People have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And you say, you have faith and for you believe that there is one God good for you. He says, even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Yeah, the devil believes in God. He knows him. He knows who he is, but he doesn't worship him. He hasn't surrendered himself. And so Simon was willing to use Christianity to advance his own power, his own influence, his own popularity. Verse 14 goes on. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And I, and I truly believe that, man, Philip was exercising tremendous wisdom. Because think about this. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But you think about when the gospel left Jerusalem and it's now in Samaria, people are going to start going, oh, is this a new work? We see that all the time. Like I said, with church plants, they'll, they'll put something on social media. We're not like every other church. We're the newest church in Bakersfield, and we do everything different. I always like what John Corson says. If it's true, it's what? It's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. And then you go to a startup church, and you go, and there, there's always, because it gets people in. And then the next thing you go, it's not any different. It's just a different person. Just a different person. And you go, so what do we do? And this is the sad thing with regard to what's going on in, in Simon's life here. But the disciples, they're going, hey, we want them to understand there's continuity, there's unity. So we're not just going to start something here in Samaria that nobody's accustomed to, nobody understands. What we're going to do is we're going to invite then the apostles to come. They can affirm it. Remember when Timothy was going to start in the ministry, he was going to be the pastor in Ephesus? Paul writes in Timothy, he said, Timothy, he says, remember where you learned what you learned, your mother, your grandmother, they taught you, right? And he goes, and then we did something. And this is so important. He goes, we laid hands upon you. He goes, now, when they laid hands upon him, what did that do? Did that mean that when they laid their hands, that's how the Holy Spirit was imparted? You go, no, it's the word affirm. What it's saying is that we're affirming what God already did in your life. We're going, Timothy, I know you're young and I know you're timid. I, I know you fit your name, but understand this, we believe in you. 
because God is working in you. And you go, well, that's one of the great blessings of being the body of Christ and affirming one another in love. What, why do again, people forsake the gathering of the saints all the time, right? But what is the point of coming together? See, we don't get anything out. It's not about you. That, that's the, the misunderstanding. You go, if you just get your eyes off of you and get them on other people, you'd realize that you have an opportunity every time you walk into a church service to be used of God in someone else's life. Because it isn't about you, it's about them. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for you, they're not for me, they're for other people. That's why then the writer of Hebrews says, not forsaking the gathering of the saints, which is common to many. He says, but when you come together, do what? Love one another by stirring each other up to love and good works. And you go, doing what? Discover. Hey, what's your gift? Tell me your story. What, what's going on in your life? You know? And so here's what's happening. Peter and John are coming down and they're affirming what God is doing. And as they're praying for people, what are they praying? Most likely it wasn't that they're going, oh, the Holy Spirit's now in your life. And that wouldn't have meant anything to him. Simon saw something. Simon saw something that he wanted. He saw power. He saw miracles. What did he see? If you look in your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you probably see exactly what was happening. Though the body was many, what? It's one. And though we're many, or we're one, we're many. We're, we're part of one another. Verse 15 goes on. It says, and as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. And I love how this rolls out. It says, look, the Holy Spirit, verse 16, had not yet come upon them. Now they had, and this is where people struggle because they go, wait a second, maybe Pastor Mike's telling the truth about subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit because they were already believers. So the Holy Spirit was already in them, right? And the Holy Spirit was already with them, but he hadn't come upon them now for ministry. That's why the Holy Spirit comes upon us for ministry. He comes into you to save you, but he comes upon you that you can work for him. Okay. So it says the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says verse 17, and Peter and John laid their hands upon the believers and they received the Holy Spirit. Like I said, they were affirming what God was doing. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses seven through 11. This is probably what was transpiring. It says a spiritual gift is given of each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one Spirit or one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another Spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said in the unknown language. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He gets to decide. We just say, God, whatever you want for me, I'm open to it. You do whatever you desire to do. And then verse 18 says, and when Simon saw this, it says the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. So he saw, see, he was a sorcerer. He did magic, but he saw this was greater. <laughs> this was greater than what he had. This wasn't a magician's trick, right? This was something supernatural, right? And again, he saw them doing mighty deeds in the power of God. I have my notes here. It says magic tricks can be learned and explained, but a miracle is an event 
that is not explained by the natural laws or science. And he saw this. He's like, wow, wow, amazing. Verse 19, he says, let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, you might look at that and go, doesn't he want a good thing? And you go, no, because it was about control. It was about authority. He wanted to be the boss. He wanted to be in control, right? He was trying to increase his influence. He saw it, he saw it waning. People, you can only go to a magic show so many times, right? You, you, go to this, you ever get tired going to the same magic show? I was like, oh, I know what he's going to do now. He's going to do this. You go, but with God, are you going to know? If, if God just does the same thing every time, you go, it's probably not God. Probably not. But all of a sudden, what happens? You go, I don't believe for a second. Do you, you think that Peter got up in Acts when he went to the gate beautiful, and there's the man that was lame from birth. Do you think Peter got up that day and he was looking in the mirror and he was going, silver and gold, silver and gold I have not. Silver and gold I have not, but in the name of Jesus, is that how I should say it? In the name of Jesus, rise up. No, I should have influx somewhere. Rise up, yeah, rise up and walk. Do you think he rehearsed that? No, he didn't rehearse that. Do you think Peter was just as surprised in that moment? He stuck out his hand. He's like, you got to be thinking. I love to see the picture, really. I'm like, Peter, yeah, silver and gold I have not. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, right? He was like, oh, God. Uh, you ever been in that situation? God goes, I want you to go talk to this person. And then you go over there and talk to him, and you just fumble over your words. You might almost talk, I could say, like a certain president. But you fumble over your words, right? You just go, I'm going to and the person goes, oh, my gosh. And you go, I don't know what I just said. And they go, but I do. And you start talking with them. You're going, wow. And you go, that was Jesus. And you go, why? And you go, because I messed everything up. And God does what? He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to demonstrate his power. And you're going, does God do that? And you go, yeah. So what? So God gets the glory. Oh, you're going to walk up to your friends. You go, yeah, he wouldn't believe what I did today. I went up to this guy in the end, and I was going to share with him. And I went like this. Oh, what do your friends say to you? What? Really? And you go, what happened? <laughs> I got the same. How? I have no idea. Then we started talking and yes, he understood it. It was that Jesus died for his sins. And you go, it was awesome. You go, does God do things like that? And you go, yeah. Yeah. We think, oh, I got to get it all down. I got to, it's like this. You go, no, that's the beauty of a manifestation. It's revel. God's a God of revelation. He just shows up. He's not going to send you, if you learn, he's not going to send you an itinerary for the day. You found that? You, sorry, you're, I mean, we do that, right? Sorry, I got a list of things and you're not on it. Sorry, my day is full, right? But then to be led by the Spirit of God. I shared this years ago, my wife and I, we went to Paris and it was the most amazing trip. So we went to follow, we loved cycling. We were following the Tour de France and we saw just wonderful places and everything. And people, we got home, they go, what was the highlight of your trip? My wife and I both said, we met this gal on a train and we got to pray with her because she was broken. Really? Even Christian, really? You were in Paris, right? You, you go to the Eiffel Tower? Oh, yeah. You went here and you did this shit. Yeah, we did all that. Every touristy thing you could do in London, yeah. But it didn't compare to this moment in time where this little girl was broken in her relationships and... Yeah catastrophe had happened on the train and to know in that moment that God placed my wife and I on that train for her. It gives me chills even to this day. 
And you go, all that. And to be able to sit with her and go, you know what? I just want you to know that God brought us all the way from California so that we could tell you about the love of Jesus Christ. That's good news. And it was, and she took it as good news. Why would God do that? And then you think, how simple? Because you go, why aren't we just amazed every time we think about this? You go, because where did Jesus come from? He came from heaven. Philippians says that he left heaven, the throne of God. And he took on human flesh so that he could die on a cross to save me and you. That's good news, amen? And that's what they were hearing, and that's the difference that it makes, the power of God. But what Simon does, it's a practice called simony. It's where it's the selling of ecclesiastical services, and it still happens to this very day. It happened then to the highest bidder. So if you wanted to be the pastor, you just, for the region, you just offered the most money. We see that the Catholic Church is known for selling indulgences and selling the right to be Pope. There are so many things. It's not just a knock. The Protestant Church has its own problem. But those were dominant in the inception of the Catholic Church, and it was just so accepted. It's practiced then. It's still practiced today because, again, how many people have you talked with? How many people have you shared with that people go, I tried praying. God didn't answer my prayer, so you know what? I don't walk with God anymore. You go, what is that? That's simony. They go, you know what? I, I gave God a chance. He didn't answer my grocery list, so sorry. And so verse 20 and 21, it says, and Peter replied, he says, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought, because it can't. It cannot be bought. It says, you can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. In essence, if you look in the original language there, what Peter is saying, he said, may you and your money rot in hell. That's what he's saying to him. You know, now, one of the things I appreciate about this makes sense to me why God sent Peter and John together. Remember, John was known as the Sons of Thunder, right? What, what did he do? He was in Samaria, remember, with Jesus? And they're going to Samaria, and the people didn't recognize Jesus and accept his ministry. So what did John do? Turns around, he goes, you got to love John. It's Jesus, do you want me to call down fire from heaven? We'll just burn them all right now. That's what John said. He's a disciple of Jesus. Jesus turns around, he's John. He rebukes him, right? I love that because I probably would have said the same thing. And I get this. And you go, was Peter not saved then? And you go, no, he was saved, but he wasn't in the will of God, right? So there's hope for me. There's hope for you in that regard. But he sends Peter. Now, Peter has this problem all the time, right? Peter opens his mouth. We call it, what is it called? Foot and mouth disease, right? Peter's got that. Every time he's opened his mouth, he's putting his foot in it, right? But Jesus is still using him. And he's breaking Peter in the process. So you got Peter who's going to go there and he goes, listen, you and your money can rot in hell, right? And John's going, Pete, remember us? <laughs> you, oh, Jesus, you're not going to wash me. Remember that on the night if he was betrayed? What did you say? Oh, Lord, you're not washing me. What did Jesus say to you, Pete? He said, you have no part in me. Same words just came out of your mouth, Peter. And you go, it's always fun to have a, somebody that thanks. Thanks, John, for the reminder, right? But you get it. He's just repeating something that he understood himself. He's saying the exact same thing to Simon. He's going, and you have no part. And that's what Jesus said. He goes, Peter, if you go down that road where you don't need me to wash you, that's what he was saying. You have no part with me. Now, what did Peter do? He said, Lord, start my armpits. Yeah. No, Peter got it right. Simon didn't. Simon didn't. And you look at that and you go, how do we know that? 
I always like Boyce and his commentary in Acts 8. He says, when Peter says, you have no part or share in this ministry, you know, again, using the same words as Jesus. And it's so funny because as you look at this, it reminds me, what do we say often about the difference between heaven and hell is like 18 inches, right? The difference between what? Your heart and your head. Yeah. Simon wasn't making the connection. He knew the information up here, but it never got into his heart. So Peter tells him, or excuse me, Philip tells him, he says, repent. He says, your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you of your evil thought. No, Peter, I'm sorry. He says, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and you're held captive by sin. And church tradition tells us that Simon didn't truly repent. He actually went off the deep end. Like I said, he began to practice Gnosticism, all kinds of different heresies. But when you see that word repent, is that a suggestion in the Bible? No, it's not a suggestion. And, and when the Lord says repent, do you think it's something he says, well, go home and think about it? Or is it something that he wants us to do immediately? Yeah, it's immediate. Yeah. And so it's the other thing that we see with regard to Simon here. It means to turn from yourself. Repent means to turn from yourself and turn to God. Turn from yourself, turn to God. Verse 24 goes, and pray to the Lord for me. That's what he says. Can I pray to the Lord for you that you'd be forgiven? I can ask God to forgive you, but does that make you forgiven? No. Who has to pray that prayer? You do. Yeah. You do. Oh, Stephen stood there and he said, Lord, hold this not against them, right? Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know what not they do. But we all have to come to this place where we do exactly what Peter told him in verse 22. You need to repent. And if you don't repent, you will die in your sins. And that's a hard thought when you think about it. And he says, so then Simon says, and why would Simon say this? I want you to think about this. He says, pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. When you're full of pride, do you want to pray that yourself? Do you want to say that I'm wrong? I always like that on social media. I always crack up at this. They go, three things that are almost impossible for people to do, people to say. One, I was wrong. Two, I'm in need. And three, what is it? Worcestershire, Worcestershire, what does it go? Worcester. And you go, Worcestershire, they keep doing that. You go, no, but I get it. You go, man, difficulty. And what? Saying that I am wrong, that I am in need. And Simon wasn't willing to in his pride. So just like every proud person, and you can know this, you go, you need to pray. That's why it's you before God. Nobody can pray this prayer for you. You go, God, I am wrong. I am a sinner. And thank God that you're a savior. Amen. That's good news, right? But you have to pray that yourself. And if you've never prayed it, I prayed, God, before we leave today, you would pray that prayer and say, God, I am a sinner. Forgive me. I have sinned against you. I get it. I have, I've been like Simon and I've wanted things for my own self. But you know what? I want to pray your will. I want to be in your will. I want to do your will. But he says, pray to the Lord for me. What was he worried about? Was he worried about like David? Remember, it says David was a man after God's own heart, right? Was David a sinner? Yeah. David committed a lot of sin. He goes, but God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. Because why? Because what did he say? David, when he sinned, Psalm 51, he said, against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned. He recognized that his sin was against God. And more than anything else, he didn't want to hurt God. Because what did he want? A relationship with God. He was overwhelmed by that, overcome by, oh God, to think your thoughts are too wonderful. 
that God, you think of me and that even if I make my bed in heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell, you're there wherever. He goes, because you're with me. It was about a relationship. Simon wasn't worried about a relationship. He goes, what did he say? That these terrible things won't happen to me. All he cared about was what? He just didn't want judgment in his life. It had nothing to do with a relationship. He goes, I just don't want to be punished. I just don't want to be punished. And then verse 25, it says, and after testifying the preaching of the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Now, the reason, again, I look at this and I'm going, God, why is this important? Because I know how I think, and I think a lot of you think like I think. If you hear 99 good things in the course of a day and you hear one bad thing, what are you going to remember? The bad thing, yeah. And, and in life, when we go to share our faith and we're around other people, you know that every church has a Simon? There's a Simon in every single church. Every single church, there's a Simon. There's somebody that's just there and they're just doing it because of what they get out of it. And even when, like I said, people approach church. I would love if this church became a church where you go, honey, we got to go to church. I don't, feel, it's not, I don't feel like it. You go, no, the reason I'm going is not for me. I'm going for you. Then I'm going, somebody needs encouragement today. Somebody needs prayer. When the writer of Hebrews says, stir up one another to love and to good works, is to help one another find your gift by the laying on of the hands, affirming your gifts, that you'd go, you were created for something. You were created for something great. And when you begin to discover what that is, I'm not talking about your occupation. I'm talking about your relationship with the Lord. I'm talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he has given to every single believer. And you understand that in your life. You start going, hey, Lord, I know that you, and again, you don't always know exactly because it's manifestations. So you're going to come and you go, I don't, nobody has the gift of healing. God gives that in specific moments. You might be here, you break up in a little group of prayer and you go, hey, we're going to pray. And you go, and all of a sudden God goes, I want you to lay hands on that person and pray for them. They're going to be healed. You go, oh. you go, no, really? And they're just like, chuck, chuck. and then finally they just go, hey, I don't know if it's me or the pizza. You're trying to get out of it, right? You go, you don't have to apologize. You go, hey, I, I, the Lord put you on my heart. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to pray for healing. And God shows up and he does that. Do, does that make you great? And you go, no, that just humbles you out. He's like, oh my gosh, God, why would you use me? I know I don't deserve to be used of you, but he wants to. Why? To show his excellency, his majesty, his glory. And that's what made the church so effective. It wasn't that they were going, oh, no, I don't want to. No, they looked forward to coming together because they realized it was for the benefit of other people. That's the beauty of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And people that have the gifts of the Holy Spirit understand that the gifts are for other people, not for ourselves. And it's not a gift until what? Till you give it away. And man, when you do, and it says, and then what has happened? Good news, great joy comes to that city. But I want you to understand that when you step out in faith, you're going to run into some Simons along the way. And if you believe that one thing, and you let that Simon mess you up, you go, then what's going to happen is you're going to end up going, I'm just, I tried and I got hurt or I got wounded and you make it about you and you go, and that's what'll happen. But I just want to remind you, this is that the Lord was just reminding me as I was going through this study this week, you know what? There's still 99 things that are wonderful and they're beautiful. And there's people out there that want to hear the gospel. There's people in here that want to hear the gospel. There's people that want to grow in their relationship with God. They want to be used of God. They want their life to count for something because you go to work and you go, man, it just doesn't satisfy. But I can tell you this, Jesus does satisfy. 
He satisfies. And so closing today, what I wanted to do was give you this opportunity to pray with and for one another, however the Holy Spirit would lead you to pray today. Maybe for some, you go again, you're praying for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You go, I want to be used of God. What did Jesus say? Luke chapter 11, he says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And he says, I understand this. And he's talking about his father. He says, if you dads being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to all who what? Ask you. It's not ask, oh God, I want to have an experience. It's no, God, I want more of you. I want to decrease. I want you to increase. I want when I go out, I want to go out with you. I want to have your eyes in the world. I want to see what you want me to see so I can talk to who you want me to talk to, that I can serve who you want me to serve. And you go, man, that's an exciting. This is they went from town to town sharing the good news. And it wasn't that they were preachers. What were they doing? They were proclaiming. They were proclaiming. You can be around people. You go, hey, what's your story? What's going on? They tell you your story. And you go, hey, man, let me pray for you. You go, God's good. I love it when people, every week since we've been in this, somebody's come to me and they go, hey, Pastor Mike, you know what I did? They go, this week I went up to somebody and I was praying and the, I felt like the Lord told me to go to them and tell them, hey, I just want you to know God loves you. Do you think people get mad at hearing that God loves them? No, they're trying to figure out, wait a second, why did he tell you that? And you go, I don't know. You go, but the Lord told me to tell you that he loves you. And I just want you to know I'm praying. What's your name? And you ask their name. You go, is that planting seed? Yes. Is that watering? Yes. We keep thinking, I've got to do a five-point sermon. No. No, you might do that. And then they just fall apart in your hands. And they go, man, I, just, I need Jesus. I know I need Jesus. And you go, great. And then you get to pray with them. It's an awesome experience. But it's just being open to being used of God. And that's what they were doing in the early church. They were just being open to be used of God, not knowing. So if you're the planner and you got to have it all figured out, it's going to be a struggle. But if you just go, I don't want to be used of God. And so in closing, like I said, I'm going to just have you guys, we're not going to even close with a song today. We're just going to close with prayer. One of those things, different. And Larry said, hey, we do, no, maybe, no, maybe we don't do everything. Sometimes God throws a curveball into it. And so what we're going to do is just give you the opportunity. Take just a few minutes and just, you can ask one another, go, hey, Light of this message, say, how can I pray for you? That's how I'm going to lead you in this. How can I pray for you? Maybe you're here. You need Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Great. Confess that. Pray with everybody. Maybe you go, hey, I need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I've told you many times, I love D.L. Moody. When I first gave my life to the Lord, first book I read, Secret Power. He said, I pray for subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit because for one simple reason, I leak. And I understood that. I go, man, I do. And I need God to fill me up. Maybe you go, hey, I agree with Pastor Mike. I need God to fill me up today, and he will. Or just any personal need that you have that you can trust other people. Maybe you need healing. Hey, let, let's just let God be God today. Just before we go, it's 12.04. It's not going to kill you for five minutes. Could be the best five minutes of your entire life. Pray for people in your family, maybe by name again, that don't know Jesus. And, been, and then pray, God, make me the answer to my own prayer. Send me out. And then watch what God will do this week if we'll just trust him. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And I pray as we're going through the book of Acts that it just kindles something afresh in each of us, that we want more of you. We want less of us and more of you, knowing that, God, for such a time as this, just like Esther, we live in a world and as dark and as ugly as things get, God, we've got the good news of the gospel. 
We've got the truth on our side, and the truth is still making people free. And so, Lord, equip us, Lord, prepare us for what you have for us this week, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy in our life. Thank you for saving us, Lord Jesus. Lord, may we magnify you and glorify you, we pray in Jesus. Amen. So if you got to go, you got to go. But if you can, two or three people, just grab somebody that's next to you there and just say, hey, in light of the message, this is what I want to pray with today. And God bless you as you go.